Hey everybody and welcome to iFreaks. This week on our panel we have James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. Michael. Hello from Central Utah. I'm Andrew Madsen in Salt Lake City and this week we have a guest, Dushan Tadic. Do you want to introduce yourself, Dushan? Uh, hi, uh, I'm Dushan Tadic. I was developer for three years now, a bit more I think. Uh, I live and work in Germany and yeah, I had an interesting blog post, which we're going to talk about now. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, great. So why don't you tell us about that blog post? Um, that's kind of what sparked us having you on the show. Uh, yeah, well, it's actually my first blog post, uh, and it's about it's about making uh, UI control a bit more swiftish, so to say. So uh, when you're setting a title for button, for example, in Swift end in Objective C, you would call a setter function, which which struck me as as not really Swifty. So uh, because in Swift, as we know, we don't have setters or getters as as functions, but we have uh, we we use dot notations there. So I, I made this little um, extension where you can use something like that to to set these titles in ui button in this example but there's there's more yeah so i read through this a little and it seems like fundamentally the problem here is we're really twofold one is that ui button itself is actually written in objective c it's not really a swift class number one and number two uh, something like the title or image uh setters for ui button it doesn't actually just take one value like a property does. It takes, a, for example, a title and then also a state that you want to use that title for. So normal, focus, disabled, I don't remember them all off the top of my head, but it's the UI control stating them. Um, and so that that sort of presents an obstacle, right? Because you, you can't just, I, I suppose you could do like properties for normal title, disabled title, and so on. Why, why would you not do that? Yeah, well, uh, because you, UI control states are not actually, uh, they're not enums. They are, and I'm forgetting a name here, what they are. Option actually. sets. Option sets, uh, exactly, option sets. So you could theoretically enumerate them, but you would have a lot of, so you, you would have to set it for all of the, all of the possible permutations of, of states. 
uh, another problem would be you can have custom states in the app. So that, would, that wouldn't scale uh, really nicely. So, uh, and another thing is it's kind of ugly to me to have title for normal, title for, I don't know, disabled, title for this, title for that. So what I did was uh, basically created a custom, a custom, what's the name of it? Uh, custom subscript. And in this subscript, you can, you can pass uh, any state or any array of states where it would internally call this setter function and set it this way, which I think looks a lot nicer than, than calling set title. Yeah, so is that, I mean, what's the big benefit here? You talk about making this Swifty, but, but why? What's the, what's, the, what's the reason for making this Swifty? Oh, well, it just looks nicer. That, that's, that's actually the only reason. Everything works with setters and getters. Everything is technically correct. But it just, it just looks weird in Swift code. Yeah, and I mean, a big part, it seems to me like a big part of, you know, Swift and, and Swiftiness is, you know, concision and, uh, you know, th th things that sort of follow common API conventions. Um, so you use a subscript. Uh, I wonder about this, though. Is this, um, what, well, one, um, you know, walk us through some of the challenges of using, using a custom subscript. So this basically, you know, it's, it's hard to convey this in speech when somebody's not reading code, but custom subscript means you basically use bracket syntax instead of um, function call syntax or, or pure dot notation. Uh, why, why do you think that's better? Why do you think that's nicer? And then sort of what challenges did you run into making that work? Uh, so, uh, well, it's, it's nicer again uh, because it, it just looks better. Uh, and challenges I had there was, so uh, my first instinct, was to have a variable where title would be a dictionary and you could have a similar syntax there, but um, you cannot do that because UI control state is it's not hashable. So uh, it cannot be a key for, for a, diction, uh, a dictionary. And uh, second thing is, uh, when you have a nil inside a state, uh, you, you cannot do it this way. So what you, what you would have to do is uh, create a custom function for, for a subscript and call setters and getters every time this subscript is set or, or called. <clears throat> so I have a question. Um... When, uh, what, what kind of drove you to this, uh, to, to, to come up with this idea? Um, were you, were you just, uh, working on a project and, and, uh, we're starting to get frustrated with, uh, with how you had to set, uh, set all these values on, on just one UI button and, uh, thought there must be a better way. Uh, I'm just curious what, uh, what, what well, kind I of drove you to this? Actually, no, actually, I was searching for a problem to solve and found this. It, it was kind of a, kind of a playing with, with, with Swift and finding this, which 
seemed like a good uh, good thing to improve. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then uh, I think you were saying earlier that it, it could be applied to more than just um, UI buttons. Um, so have you have you attempted to do that? Well, yeah. There's there's actually an example at the end of the article where you can you can also set title colors, which also depend on depend on uh, UI state or anything that depends on UI control state. Actually, it could also also be, but I didn't find any examples of that. It could be uh, used for any kind of setter. So even even if it takes something that's not uh, UI control state, you could use the same technique to to basically pass parameters to getters and setters. Okay, so how how's it gone? Are you using this this pattern in your day to day code? Is it just for sample projects? Just for fun? Um, how's it going for you? It's just for fun. I I actually don't use UI control states that much in my projects. Uh, so I actually have a, usually have an extension with normal title only because that's mostly used. So it's the ugly way actually what, what I mostly use. But if I ever ever have to use UI control states, I just add this extension and that's it. It's really simple to add to your projects when you need it and when not, why would I add more code than necessary? Okay, so if someone wanted to check out this extension, how would they... Would they get it? They just copy and paste from your blog post, or how would they do that? Uh, yeah, for now it should be copy and paste. Maybe, maybe I should make some kind of uh, framework for that, or library, or whatever you call it. Um, it looks like in your blog post you actually mention uh, uh, Swifter Swift and uh, UI button extensions Swift. Yeah, yeah, I actually use it as an example of what not to do. Uh, oh, <laughs> because, uh, because they ha they have these they have these uh, variables where where they have title for normal title for this title for that. I I'm not really sure what the details are, but it it also it, it doesn't solve the problem completely, you know, because you you can have multiple states and it's not scalable and it's a lot of code and not not really nice. I mean, it's. Not to say not to use it ever. For example, title for normal, it makes sense because it's mostly used, but it's not a complete solution, right? So are there other like uh, Apple interfaces that someone could do the same technique to that would make it a little more swiftier? Do you have any suggestions? Well, I, actually, I, I I didn't find any, at least. Maybe there are some, but, but I, I didn't, uh, I can't think of any right now. I'm curious to know just a little bit more about you. What kind of stuff do you work on, uh, you know, for your job or for fun? Um, yeah. What do you currently, do? Currently, I'm working in a, a medical software company, actually clinical software company. So it's, uh, I'm making an iOS app for doctors and nurses to use when, when they're working their, their job, basically. Uh, but I, I started in April in this job. And before that, I, I worked in two agencies. So one first, first in Croatia, then I came to Germany, also worked in, in one agency, and now I switched to, switched to this company, current company. Okay, what's the, 
What's the transition from working from an agency to working for a product company? Tell us how that's been. Well, it's, it's a lot different, uh, in my experience at least, because, well, I, I'm happy uh, to have worked in agencies before I switched to this kind of company because you have a lot of projects, you have a lot of different challenges, you have a lot of different types of code you get. So you can learn a lot more uh, about, about software development in general. Uh, but you, what always struck me, what always bothered me was you can't really go into details with, with one project. You don't have, you, you only, you're only pushing it as fast as possible usually. And in here I have an opportunity to take one product and make it as good as I can make it. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think I've, met with a lot of developers I've worked with other people's code people from agencies and like developers that have worked in agencies they they know the ui patterns inside and out how to use xcode um, but after like six months on a project like they have no idea what to do um, very very high level thing so if you know if you're working on a different project every month every couple months um, you get a different set of skill sets and i think you're running into that where uh, now you're working for something that's actually long term and you know, your, your decisions that you make now are going to affect you in six months and a year. Whereas if you're an agency and you ship it, um, you know, it doesn't affect you generally, um, at least to the same degree. Um, but have you found that's the case? Well, I, I'm not sure about this company because I'm not long here. So in product company, but in, yeah, in agencies, it's, it's usually quick and, always shipping quick stuff you know except when you get some some code that's already there which can be really can be really weird let's say that um definitely i've i've run into a lot of code built by some, some random agency that's like fairly workable and you have to figure out a way to make it make it do what you want to do um Exactly. Exactly. I also, I also don't think I would learn Objective C if I wasn't working for an agency, because when I started working, it was over. Swift was already there. It was used in production for a lot of stuff. But I also had some Objective C code, which forced me to learn Objective C. Okay. Which well, I think is a good thing. What What was that like? So you were mainly a Swift developer, and. Yeah then you had to deal with Objective-C code. How, how did that go? <laughs> Actually, not that bad. The code I got, my first Objective-C code I got was actually really nice. So I, I learned a lot from the code and I could easily adapt to it. But uh, there, was one, there was one project where all communications all communication inside uh, inside the code was through NS notifications. So, for example, when you want to send a request, you you make a you set send a NS notification, which a network uh, which a network uh, manager would intercept, get parameters. 
send a request and then send an NS notification back to whatever, to whoever. So that was, that was really, really hard to debug and hard to keep track of where everything is because it's, it's not clear anything can get, uh, so anything can listen for NS notifications and anything can send NS notifications. Okay, yeah, I've seen code bases like that where a lot of the, the communication is done through the, you know, the notification center. Um, what, do you recommend working on code like that or what, what, what types of problems or apps where that, does that make a, a good fit or when does, it, when does it not work? Well, in the code I got there, it didn't work actually. It, it was full of bugs. It, was, it had this racing condition where uh, any requ uh, some requests would get sent twice for some reason. I don't even remember how I solved that. But that's, that's usually uh, I would, if you have a memory leak in your view controller and you set up your notifications and you don't tear them down correctly and you fire them off twice. Sometimes. It's, it's possible that that was it, but um, yeah, when you have a normal leak, it's fairly easy to find it. When, when you have notification that's sent from somewhere and you don't know where, it's really, really hard to find. But I, I, I think it's good that I had projects like this because you learn how to deal with you learn how to deal with stuff that's not really clear what's going on. You you learn how to debug a lot better than you would if everything's nice, everything's um, for sure. Yeah, this is the 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 issue with working with long term code bases because you're not always sure why the code was written this way, the developer may have moved on, might be at a new job. So if you're getting a notification and you're not sure where it's from, how do you, how do you figure that out? Um, well, you, you just have to <laughs> go through the code. Uh, what I used was uh, a breakpoint where I had, uh, you know, where you can set an, set to execute something on a breakpoint. Uh, so I found all notifications that were being sent, added all, uh, so put breakpoints on all of these notifications and printed out, uh, I think it was class name or something where you can find it later. Yeah, I have to admit, uh, I've, done, I've done similar solutions like that. Um, putting in print statements to uh, basically wrapping all the notifications that I would see in the console when notifications were being sent, when they were being received. Um, I've also <laughs> done uh, rudimentary uh, global searches um, just, you know, because because notification center is based on these, these strings. And so if you just do a global search on where that string is found throughout the code, hopefully it's unique <laughs> and uh, you'll be able to, you're able to find it that way. Um, you have the same similar problem with, um, with reactive uh, type programming as well, where, where you, these, these notifications, these, these publics, these um, uh, producers and signals are, are being sent out and you, you might not be able to easily find what's listening to them and what's, where, where, the, where the flow of the program is expected to go. And so it's, it's kind of a similar issue where um, you need to do global searches sometimes in order to find all the listeners to, uh, 
to the to the uh, producers and signals. I know it seems so primitive just do a global search on a text string, but it works so well in so many cases, especially uh, when we're using Xcode, which doesn't really have the best uh, search by reference support uh, that other frameworks, other stacks might be used to. So I, I find myself using searches quite a bit and also print statements, which also seem so primitive, actually changing the code to debug it, you know, seems like the dark ages, but I still use it all the time. <laughs> and the more I talk to like really experienced people, like they still do too. I mean, those are completely valid ways of debugging your apps, trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. You know, if it works, why change it? Right. Yep. You know, they say the people that really know how to use the debuggers are the people that really need to know how to use the debugger. Yeah. I have a, I actually have a background in, in C sharp coming in, coming from visual, this visual studio world where they, um, Microsoft has written a very, uh, comprehensive, um, uh, find all usages and find references and things like that. Um, but, uh, they don't really, but reactive doesn't really exist in that, uh, or at least not in the sense that we use it in iOS. Um, and so it's, yeah, you're right, James, that it's, uh, it's, it's some, some stacks are used to being able to find usages of, of things much easier. <laughs> Just right click. There it is. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Refactoring works all the time, you know? Sounds yep. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, Xcode has been behind the other platforms for, for a number of years, but they're, they're slowly catching up, which is a good thing. For sure. So what's it? So what's it like moving from Croatia to Germany? Is it is it pretty easy to get a a, a visa? Is that what they have visas in Germany? No, Croatians don't need visa for for Germany because we're we're in European Union. So it's just find a job, come here and work. It's really really simple. Wow, actually letting people into your country to do work for you without giving much of headaches. That's that's something that um, us Americans can learn from. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, do they uh, over there? Do they uh, do, do they do? Is there a lot of remote work? Like I feel like in America, there's a lot of jobs that uh, allow you to work from anywhere inside the United States um, it, or even overseas. Um, is that is the same sort of uh, feeling and culture over there? I'm actually not sure because I don't like working remotely, so I only search for jobs that. Uh, all, so I only search for on-site jobs, but there are there are some people who work remote and it works for them. But I I think it's less than in in the United States. I'm not sure though. We would have to find some statistics for that. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. So uh, what what part of Germany are you living in? It's South Germany, uh, Baden-Württemberg. Uh, next to on border with France and Switzerland so like all the way south okay how, how is your German uh, actually worse than my English uh, but I can I can communicate I can I can work in German okay. and it's really good that my colleagues speak and they are really patient and Thank I, I thank them for that. Uh, so we we speak in German only, so I I can learn from that. So when I I cannot say something, I say it in English. They translate it for me, and then we continue in German. 
Okay, so it's like a German school. Yeah, basically. That's cool. No, I've, I've heard, um, like, even Berlin, you can get by without speaking any German at all. But that's, like, certain areas of Berlin. Like, I've... I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've absolutely. Actually, I, I was in Leipzig first. It's near Berlin. Um, and I didn't have to... I didn't have to speak German at all, basically. Only sometimes when s someone is, when you f when you get, uh, when you find yourself in a situation where someone doesn't speak English, but it's really, really rare for that to happen. Yeah, it's kind of where I know someone from Germany who's in Berlin ordered some food in German and the waitress did not know, couldn't speak German. So you could, be, you could be in the service industry in Berlin and not speak the language of the country. That's a bit extreme, but I guess. Um, I, I wanted to come back to the blog post a little bit and talk about how um, Swift UI might um, either benefit or make this idea become obsolete. I actually, um, I actually don't know. I, I didn't go into much details in, from Swift UI, so I'm not sure how this works there. But if you do know, I'd like to hear. Well, I've, I've played around with it a little bit, um, Swift UI, that is. Um, and because they, that it's less focused on those getters and setters, um, and, and also less focused on on how a control behaves, it's, it's uh, switching to more of a declarative um, type of, of coding. So you, you declare uh, what, your, what your functionality is. Like you say, if, if, if the user is expected to be able to touch the screen in a certain, spark, a certain part of the screen, you use a button. Um, and to organize things, you use a, you use a stack. And, and then you can customize it, you know, kind of more of an after the afterthought um, and setting in setting colors and fonts and things like that those are those are done um, you know kind of in the same place um, and so I when you have a UI button uh, in order to handle the different states um, you don't have to use those those old objective C uh, getters and setters anymore um, and so I'm I guess I'm thinking that uh, Either, either this idea of of extending the UI button um, won't be won't be necessary anymore, um, or or we change it so that it's it's useful in different ways, in better ways. Yep, sounds exciting. Yeah, do you get to do any? Well, so in your current job, you get to do mainly Swift. Um, do you think there's the prospect for the for management to decide uh, to move forward with with Swift UI? Well, I'm not sure what version of iOS we'll have to support, but right now the app's not even done. Uh, so I'm the first iOS developer here. So <laughs> the decision is basically mine, and mm -hmm. that's that that's really nice. So yeah. it's it's a it's a low level decision. I mean. Management doesn't care as long as it works. I can code in Swift UI or using constraints or whatever. But in any case, not while it's in beta. Right, because you need to be able to support iOS 12 and 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 previous. Um, 
because yeah, Swift UI will be restricted to iOS 13 and going forward. Um, well, so what's it like? I, I, I have to admit, I've never been in the position that you're in where you're the only iOS developer in the company and, and you get to make all those architectural decisions yourself. Uh, what's that like? Uh, really, really nice, actually. I mean, it's it's a bit more respon responsibility because, you know, if you make a really bad decision, it will get back to you, you know. But at least it's my decision, so I have no one else to blame but myself, and I have to go and fix it if, if I made something something wrong. And these things happen, of course. No one is perfect. Of course. <laughs> um, so then, uh, does uh, it seems to me in, in a position like that where you would have to deal with people that don't understand um, the time and effort it takes to create something they think is small or simple in an app, for instance. Have you run into that issue at all? No, actually not. Not in my current job, at least. And in my last job, so I, I had a layer of management which shielded me from that. So I'm pretty sure something like that will happen. But for now, no, every, everyone understands. It takes some time. It takes some time, you know. That's nice. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. Um, what if you were, so that, now this is a hypothetical situation. Um, what if you were all of a sudden to be the manager of a team and uh, you were asked to hire, you know, a couple of people to, to work uh, underneath you? Um, do you feel like that would be an improvement on your current position or would that be scary? Well, it would be a little bit scary, but scary is not always bad, you know. Uh, that it, it would be exciting. It would, it would be an improvement in any case. But it's still too early to talk about that. I, I don't know what will happen. Well, and, yeah, I, mean, I guess you want that eventually, to, that your product will grow so much that you will need to turn, turn your team in from one person into a team of, of more than just one right possibly <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm only scared that i'm scared to if that ever happens i'm scared to so I, I would be under pressure to find someone who's compatible and good and i have no idea how how to how to interview people but you can always learn right is there, any, is there anything else you think we should talk about before we wrap up and get to picks? No, we can, we can finish. All right, great. Uh, James, do you have any picks for us? Yeah, so I, I got a pick. So, you know, back in the Objective-C days, block syntax was a little bit rough, right? Um, it was rough enough where someone actually went to make a site called effing block syntax or gosh darn block syntax if you want the PG version. Um, we thought in Swift this was not going to be needed because we had a delightful language, modern, built, amazing. Um, didn't quite turn out like that. Like that. Uh, if you dig into pattern matching with enums and associated types, you get into if let case things, and sometimes they're in different orders. There's case let or whatever happens. Uh, it gets a little rough, and so I was like, you know what? I was trying to figure out a problem or how to unwrap a. Associated type within an enum or something. I bet there's a 
and there's nothing get let get let case syntax and there was and it does exist or so I'm gonna put a link to gosh darn case if let syntax dot com I have used that many times I have to admit I have as well <laughs> all right Mike what about you well uh, I uh, have a fascination with um, Rubik's cubes um, and uh, recently I um, got uh, a new basically a, a, a smart cube um, I backed it on Kickstarter a year ago it's called the go cube and um, and it finally came about a month ago and it, <clears throat> I feel like it's been in my hands ever since um, <laughs> because it's it's uh, one of the smoothest turning Rubik's cubes I've ever I've ever played with and plus it <clears throat> it's a smart cube so it actually talks through via bluetooth bluetooth low energy uh, to your phone and can do all kinds of really crazy computational an analysis and and all kinds of fun stuff um and so that was uh i backed it on kickstarter a year ago and so that campaign obviously is has ended but they have published a they started a new campaign on indiegogo and so i will provide a link to that um in case anyone's interested um and, and uh basically to uh, remanufacture it um so if you're really into puzzles um and uh and you like rubik's cubes um this is a little pricey but definitely worth it in my mind to be able to analyze your your speed and uh and technique and um, and algorithms for solving Rubik's cubes. Um, it's called the Go Cube. Really fun. So, so I have to ask. So anytime mm -hmm. I have a, a, a solved Rubik's cube in my hand, I, I've messed it up beyond my abilities to repair in ten minutes. Can this help me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when okay. you when you connect it to the to the app, the app will actually tell you and even show you with middle uh, little videos how to solve your Rubik's cube. <laughs> this is this is a this is a godsend for me. <laughs> Thanks. I, I learned how to solve a Rubik's cube once like 20 years ago. And I of course have completely forgotten, but one of these days I should figure it out again. We actually had a guest on, I don't know, it's been probably a couple of years ago that was into Rubik's cubes and we talked a little bit about um, that. And he had a, I, if I recall, he had a book or a video series or some sort of system for teaching you how to solve them. That's cool. Uh, Dushan, do you have any uh, picks for us? Sorry, no. I'm not even sure what picks are. <laughs> uh, pick is just something you'd like to recommend. It can be a blog post, a movie, a product, a tool you've been using, um, anything. Just anything you think our li listeners would like to hear about. It does not have to relate to what we talked about on the show. So, sorry, I can't think of nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got two. Uh, so you can you can have one of mine. Uh, my first pick is actually sort of a um, riff on James, which is gosh darn swiftui.com. Uh, there's a there's a not so safe for work um, variant too, I think. But gosh darn swiftui.com is sort of a cheat sheet for SwiftUI. It's actually a lot more in depth than the you know the block syntax one and the um, case if let syntax one. But it's just a, basically a bunch of um, examples of, of how to use SwiftUI, how to use the various classes in SwiftUI, 
uh, and sort of frequently asked questions. And anyway, um, kind of useful, I think, if you're getting used to it uh, and, and starting out with SwiftUI. And I imagine it'll be useful as a cheat sheet um, and sort of like a, a simplified documentation for a while to come. The other uh, pick I have is um, I've, I've actually sort of been getting into mechanical keyboards lately. And my uh, motivation for this has actually been that for a few years I've kind of struggled off and on with some minor RSI problems and I don't really want those to get worse. And so I've uh, wanted to type on a split keyboard and I've had a few split keyboards. I've had a, I had a Microsoft ergonomic keyboard. I've had a Kinesis uh, split keyboard, um, but none of them have felt very nice for typing. And so I end up going back to uh, sort of a, yeah, I, I actually like the Apple um, desktop keyboards pretty well, but you know, I wanted something that's nice to type on, but is still split. And so I've kind of been going down the road of figuring all those out. Long story short, I've tried a few and I've, uh, at least for now, sort of settled on one that I like. So I'm going to pick it. Uh, it's called the Q-Frenzy, uh, which is sort of a, I didn't know this. It's actually a technical term, but it's a variation on the word frequency. Um, it's a kit, so you build it yourself. Um, and that means building the whole thing. You buy a printed circuit board and uh, the metal plates that hold the key switches. And then it's kind of up to you to solder everything together and to come up with a case. I 3D printed one um, to, put, to buy and put your own keycaps on it. Uh, it's actually kind of fun if you're creative. And to me, there's a little bit of a sort of building your own lightsaber aspect to the whole thing where, you know, I built my own keyboard that I type on now every day. Um, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, it's a good mix for me of some of the mechanical keyboards out there are, are too weird. You kind of got to adjust too much to learning them because the layout's so different or they're too small. So they don't really have, I don't think they're very good for programming because everything's behind the modifier key. This one's a pretty good balance. I've got all the normal punctuation. I've got arrow keys. I have uh, function keys, et cetera, but it's not huge. Uh, it's, it's still pretty small. Um, and it's completely two sides that are completely detached. So I can, put them you know, in sort of any orientation or position I want. In fact, they'll even snap together into a regular keyboard. So anyway, those are my picks. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Deshaun, for being on the, the show with us. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. And we will uh, – well, uh, before we go, how can people find you? Are you on Twitter? Uh, no, actually not. <laughs> uh, they can find me – go to my website, dosantadits.dev, and – all the way down, you have my email, LinkedIn, Skype, and GitHub. Great. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, with that, we'll wrap up. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. See ya. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.